you went from jet.com, Equinox, and even before that, all the experiences you've had. I'd love if you can share maybe some challenges at each place. Some mistakes I've made, you know, and I see this a lot in young people today, impatience. You know, when you're young, you want everything right now. But it can also mean that you maybe step away from things too quickly. I remember I worked for a company, it was a relative startup in the UK at the time, a company called Ocado.com. Absolute challenger in the grocery space, doing amazing stuff with robotics and fulfillment. And it had a lot of shares in the business. And, and at the time the business was going through a tough point, I thought it was gonna run out of cash. Someone came to me with an opportunity that sounded like a bigger job and I jumped ship. At the time, the, I don't know what the market value of the business was, but the share price was less than a buck. A couple of years later, I stayed in touch with the CEO, the founder, I think when his shares hit like $22 or something. <laughs> it was all about impatience, not seeing things for the long run and wanting everything kind of tomorrow and you know, not sticking with it. Episode five, season two. We get the honor to welcome Simon Belsham, CEO at The Healing Company. For those of you know who don't know what The Healing Company is, they're a roll up of some of the most well-known and largest wellness brands and identities. Faces like Deepak Chopra and brands like Your Super are all part of The Healing Company today. And Simon's here to talk about how he's built a nine-figure roll-up company of wellness brands that he plans to take IPO one day. And today, it's an absolute honor to bring Simon Belsham, The Healing Company, and to talk about his experiences. And what's even more incredible is some of the things you've worked on in the past, being president of Jet.com, Equinox Media, and uh, now at The Healing Company. And uh, without further ado, would love an introduction from yourself. And uh, welcome to the show, and thank you for taking time out for us. Hey, thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. And I've been so inspired listening to your uh, Series 1. Uh, I've learned tons despite having worked in this industry for a long time, so I'm really grateful to be here. Um, yeah, just as a, a quick background. So, yep, Simon, I'm the CEO, co-founder of The Healing Company today. Uh, I've worked in consumer businesses, mainly consumer tech, for the last 20-plus years. Uh, have learned tons of things along the way, plenty of... Uh, Great things, loads of mistakes. Um, the Healing Company today, just to give you a kind of a quick intro to what we do, we're, a, we're a, a buy and build business. We're focused on the wellness space. Uh, really, we have a mission to bring what we call integrated healing to the world. I think we can talk a bit more about, about this opportunity, but it's similar to a lot of what you guys are doing at Obvi. You know, we see just this big movement, this big change as people are thinking differently about healthcare and, and how they approach it and the lifestyle approaches they're taking to, to ultimately prevent chronic disease, mm -hmm. which is plaguing our society. And, uh, and we see a big change, the science, the technology, it's pointing us in a different direction. And so we set up the business, the healing company, to bring together a community of brands and founders and leaders that could make a difference and help people. Uh, and our goal is to help improve the quality of millions of people's lives. That's what we set out to do. So, it's incredible. And and kind of going on of 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 thesis of what you guys are building, um, is your goal to kind of create an aggregated group of many brands. Um, and I know you guys have a couple of brands and and obviously um, uh, some iconic celebrity involved too. So maybe if you can touch on kind of what you have built thus far and maybe the thesis of where you want to be with the healing company. Would be yeah, great. of course. So as you said, exactly, our goal is to bring together a community of a number of brands, brands that individually have great product, great founders, 
where we can help those brands and founders scale further and faster than they would alone. But then to bring them together in a way that's like really complementary, so that mm. one plus one equals three or four or five. And, and I think it's, it's, it's hard to start a business in, in the world today. Like, you know, marketing is more expensive, capital is harder to get hold of. Uh, and so if, you can bring, if we can bring these great people together, these great businesses together, and help them have more impact together than alone, that's really what we're, what we're trying to do. Um, we started the business 18 months ago. Uh, we've bought two companies so far. The first one's a company called Your Superfoods, Your Super. Wonderful husband and wife founding team, great food, superfood supplement products. We can dig into the healthcare side of it, but getting more phytonutrient diversity in our diet is critical mm. for preventing so many diseases, not just metabolic, uh, you know, health diseases, but 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 um, you know, mental health issues and all sorts of things can be benefited from from that. And it's a it's a great business, great foundations, and we see a big opportunity to scale that. And then the second business that we bought was uh, Deepak Chopra's business, Chopra Global. We'd been working with Deepak for about 18 months Incredible. as our chief scientific advisor. And through that, you know, built trust with each other. He was thinking about his legacy personally and what he wanted to do next. And it felt just like a great fit to bring that in board. And so we, we bought the, uh, the, the meditation wellbeing experiences uh, elements of his business. So his, his app, Chopra app. Uh, he's got some licensed spas, wellbeing centers. We're building out products under his name and working with him to continue creating content. And he's a... He's an incredible person, leader, probably one of the most known holistic practitioners on the planet. So we're privileged to work with him. It's amazing. It's funny you said uh, you're super, you know, being one of the, the first brands. In fact, it was one of the, the brands that inspired us to make our app mm -hmm. um, with Tapcart. You know, um, they said, you know, download these guys, see what they're doing because they're best in class and um, it helped shaped, you know, what we're doing today. Um, being that was, you know, a pretty big brand to bring on. Um, I think what a lot of people would find interesting is to understand what that process looks like for you and what are you looking for within the brand to actually, you know, acquire or bring them a part of the healing company. Such a good such a good question. There isn't there isn't really one answer to that. But I think I mean I think the first thing when you look at any business that we're we're looking for is what what gives them an unfair advantage in this world? Like we live in a noisy world. It's, there's a lot of competition out there. It's, right. you know, in many ways, like over the last 10 years, been a lot of businesses sprung up, right? So what gives them an unfair advantage over anyone else? And I think that's one of the, one of the key things to start with. And then- Well, is that like product? Is that like culture? Like what is that? Yeah, no, it could be, it could be a number of different things, which is sort of why I kept it fairly general. But, um, you know, if I think about, if I think about Deepak's business and Chopra, clearly the unfair advantage they have is, is the name and the reach of Deepak. Right, makes sense. You know, and if you can leverage that on the back of that, right. creating products and experiences becomes a lot easier. Uh, for Michael and Crystal at, at Your Super, you know, they built a huge community of people that were passionate about superfoods and they had some incredible products and they were in the right place at the right time. And so we look at a number of different things, but you know, given a lot of what we're doing is about products, the product has got to be great. Mm -hmm. uh, and increasingly in this world, the FTC, the FDA are looking for more scientific basis to products. And it's a good thing, it helps build trust. And right. I think, so businesses, you know, we, we certainly look at that. What's the, what's the claims, what's the evidence, mm -hmm. what's, the, what's the scientific basis behind the product and what they're doing? 
Um, we look at the growth potential. You know, uh, I have a view, having worked in this industry for sort of 20 plus years, that it's you've got to have an omni-channel business. You know, I truly believe, if you think about, it, I don't know how much you know about kind of marketing academics like Byron Sharp. For me, he's like a you know, godfather of marketing. He wrote this book, How Brands Grow, a long time ago, and. And he talked about mental and physical availability. And for me, that just is like a really good example of what a brand has to be, mental availability. You gotta have a good story. You gotta stand for something in people's minds. Mm-hmm. Physical availability, you gotta be within reach. Right. You know, I think Coke has always done an amazing job at this. You know, Apple, all those other iconic brands. And so for any business we look at, what's the growth potential? How do we grow the story? Mm-hmm. How do we grow the product? How do we grow that resonance in people's minds? But can we also get it into retail, into distribution? You know, where can we grow it? Um, we look for founders, the team, the complementary nature, and we can talk a bit more about, about founders. But, and then last thing I'd probably say when we're, when we're looking to, to buy a business, it's really important that there's a deal on the table. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's probably uh, not talked about enough. It's probably easy to sort of stay away from, away from that. But the economics matter, right? right. right? Yeah. But it's got to matter for both sides. And, and that's when negotiation comes in, right? It's got to be a win-win. We've got to be able to buy it at a price that we can make money at it later on. And equally, the founders or the, the management team, the investors need to feel like they're getting a fair return and can share in that too. So all of these things have got to come together. Um, and the, the one other thing I would say about that when we're looking at businesses is it's a process. Mm-hmm. You know, and so much at the heart of it ultimately is about relationships. You know, you've, this is your baby, obviously your baby, right? right you've right. put your heart and soul and your families have put their heart and soul into you building this business. At the point in time, if, when you want to sell it, I'm sure you want it to go to a good home and people you trust or whatever the right path is for that, whether you IPO it or whatever you want to do. And so you've got to know and build that connection and it takes time, which is why we spent 18 months with Deepak before we did anything with him. Wow. So, you know, I, I think what would be really interesting is, you know, the, the theme of like challenges and and even what we talked about um, around some of the, the positions you've held, obviously, um, taking out the element of, 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 of what you did to get there, more around, you know, what were some of the things when you did get there, what were some of the challenges? And then maybe take us back to, to some earlier parts of your journey because each experience, I'm, I'm super intrigued. Like you went from you, Jet.com um, and 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 then you know Equinox, and even before that, all the experiences you've had. I'd love if you can share maybe some challenges at each place that can maybe almost when you're looking at our viewers, right, and and people who are listening to our podcast, everyone is in this climate of where there is some sort of fear. Um, no yeah. matter if you're already a business that's made it um, and are struggling now to sustain, or you're a business that's building that's struggling now to build quicker um there's struggles going along but um i think it'd be awesome to normalize that a little bit given that you were a part of such bigger organizations that maybe had totally different challenges at its peak wow such a big it's such a big (laughs) but really important question you know i think i think there's a couple of things i'd immediately say to that um we're only here because of uh, our journey, our personal journey, and that's that's the good things and it's the bad things. It's the and it's the mistakes uh, and the tough experiences that teach us most in life. I've 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 always felt that, and I've had plenty of difficult and painful experiences through my career and getting to me, and that shaped me who I am as an individual, who I am as a leader, how I perceive the world, how I think about opportunities, and and so I think 
even though it can feel scary and fearful, I think facing into those and, and seeing them as in, in learning opportunities, it can feel hard at the time to do that, but like feeling them as learning opportunities is, is super important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I started my career in the, the dot-com bubble, right? A long time ago, I'm a bit older than you guys. Um, and you know, it's amazing to see how much technology has moved on since then. But you think about all the ups and downs, the, the 2007-8 recession we had and that uh, situation and, you know, kind of everything that's going on in the world right now. Each one of those has created real challenges, but real opportunities mm-hmm. as well. You know, one of my favorite quotes that's always um, stuck my, by me is the, the Martin Luther King quote that it's only in the darkness that you can see the stars. You know, and that's something that personally resonates to me. I love the outdoors, I love nature, I love mm-hmm. going to the national parks in America and you just look at, look at stars and, and that's where you see the opportunity, but you only ever see them when it's dark. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's one of the things that I've learned in my career from, from tough times. Uh, and to give, you, to give you a few examples along the way, I mean, some mistakes I've made, um, you know, and I see this a lot in young people today, uh, impatience, you know, when you're young, you want everything right now. And it's amazing to have that energy and that like hunger. Um, but it can also mean that you maybe step away from things too quickly. I remember I worked for a company, it was a relative startup in the UK at the time, a company called Ocado.com. Absolute challenger in the grocery space, doing amazing stuff with robotics and fulfillment. CEO, you know, generally one of the smartest people that I've ever worked with, um, brilliant guy. Um, and I was leading a division for that business. I was on the executive team, I was in my late 20s, uh, and had a lot of shares in the business. And, and at the time, the business was going through a tough point. I thought it was gonna run out of cash. Uh, someone came to me with an opportunity that sounded like a bigger job, and I jumped ship. You know, I went to this bigger job, even though there were so many great things. The MPS scores were off the chart, the customer service, people loved it. I loved it as a consumer. Yeah. And yet I saw this short-term thing and was like, okay, I'm gonna go to that. I can honestly tell you, like at the time, the, I don't know what the market value of the business was, but the share price was less than a buck. A couple of years later, I stayed in touch with the CEO, the founder, I think when his shares hit like $22 or something. <laughs> You know, and oh, I was super wow. proud, like his amazing journey he's been yeah. on. But for me, I look back on that as just, and it's not like quite, I was the founder of Google and it went on to be, but like, it was my version of that story, right? And it was all about impatience, not seeing things for the long run um, uh, and wanting everything kind of tomorrow and, you know, not sticking with it. And it's been a bit of a story of my life personally and like in many ways, but like certainly it's been a big career lesson is you've got to see through difficult things and difficult times and that's where you learn. And it doesn't mean that the world is ending because there's like a lot of growth at the end of it. And then, you know, I've worked for some incredible people and, and leaders uh, along the way. Um, and I feel like I've, I've seen how leadership can shape the destiny and the fortunes of a, of a business. And, you know, I went through a very tough period um, uh, at Tesco, which is a very big multinational sort of a European Walmart. And back in, I can't remember when it was now, uh, mid, mid-teens, uh, they had, uh, there was an accounting scandal in the, in the business and, and a number of people I worked very closely with lost their jobs over it, you know, and for many years uh, had, a, had a difficult situation as the, the situation was investigated. And, and ultimately it didn't come to anything, but the whole situation I look back as a real example of how leadership can shape behaviors and in that example 
putting pressure on an organization, not necessarily listening to difficult conversations, feedback led to some actions being taken that, you know, ultimately uh, caused a problem. Mm. And as leaders, we have enormous responsibility that I don't think we always realize until things go wrong. Yeah. The way people look up at us, the way that we are role models to people, the decisions we make and how those cascade to decisions other people make. Yeah. It's only, I think, sometimes when you've been in a tough situation where that hasn't gone right that you really learn those leadership mistakes. And I look around now at public leaders, political leaders, and you see them behaving in a way that you just think is irresponsible. <laughs> and I just think, have they ever been burned? Have they ever been in a situation <laughs> right. where it's gone wrong? Mm -hmm. Because if they had, they wouldn't be doing this, yeah. right? And so for me, it's been a big personal leadership journey and like what that means and the responsibility of being a leader. Do you think leadership, um, you, uh, I think I personally kind of have this challenge too, kind of mentally sometimes, where if you're trying to be a leader, but also rolling up your sleeves and doing some of the work, yeah. right? It is very hard to know when it's time to be a leader and knowing that that's going to take away time from rolling up your sleeves and doing the work. Yeah. And I think in between, what, what bridges that gap is a great team. Yeah. Right. And I and, you know, would love to hear a little bit of your experience of building teams and and maybe some of the challenges you've had and maybe some of the mistakes are, are, are learning from it. Because I think in today's era, uh, when, when we talk to other founders and, and, and whatnot, um, the ones that are still doing great are the ones that have great people, um, the loyal people, the, the, the team that's been built out. And given remote now and given, you know, not everyone's in, in the house and stuff, the dynamics have changed so much to where if you come back and boil down to leadership, it's like, well, how do I build this in-between bridge? Right, because yeah. I can just keep doing everything myself, or I can shift to being a great leader that can lead people to do it. Um, and it's, uh, I don't know, it's always this contrast that's just so hard to, to fathom. So I'm sure you've had your, your years of, of different journeys through that. For sure. And I've, I've learned from people along the way as well. I'm, you know, I think, I think that's one of my sort of lessons back as I look at people is like, choose, when you make a decision about a job, choose it based on people. Yeah as much as anything, because especially when you're young, because that's that's what's gonna shape you if you work for great people. I, and it's one of the things I was asking in an interview is like, who, who've been your role models? Who've been your mentors? Who've shaped your career? Because I think actually that's a more important question than like sometimes what people have done. Um, but equally, like I'm so impressed with how you guys are building Obvi and, and you know, there's one word I would use that I observe from what you're doing around transparency. Um, I've certainly learned over time that that's critical for building a team and engendering trust. You know, mm -hmm. I think it's easy sometimes to think people can't handle bad news. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things I've learned is people can handle tough conversations much greater than you ever think they can. Mm -hmm. And so that transparency element is, is really, really important. Um, there's a principle that I've come to learn over time that I think is, is important. It's uh, a thing called the Stockdale Paradox. Have you guys heard of, you guys heard of it? it mm -hmm. So I think Stockdale was the researcher, and, and apologies if I kind of screw up the, screw this up a little bit, but at least this is how I've internalized it. Right. So it came out of, um, I think, World War II and some of the prisoner of war camps. And, you know, people did studies afterwards about who fared well out of those experiences and who struggled. And, and there were sort of two camps of people. There was the optimists, eternal optimists who were like, 
we're going to get out of here by Christmas. And everyone was like up on spirits and, and Christmas came and went and they weren't out. And then your spirits got deflated. And, and, you know, when you're in that situation, kind of spirits get broken. It's really tough. And then there were the kind of almost the realists who were like, well, you know, yes, we will get out. But today it's tough. Mm-hmm. And, and that ability to hold two opposing thoughts, you know, a reality about today and an optimism about the future, for me is one of the things that is like really defines leaders when you're, when you're working with a team and, and how you get their, their support for, for different things. And so just, just, just because you're real today, like you know, financing may be hard, competition's really tough, you know, we've got a problem in the business but I'm still super optimistic about where we're going mm. and we're gonna get through this and the future's bright and we're in the right space and we've got an amazing team. And it's called a paradox because it's our, we're asking our brain to hold two almost competing thoughts at the same time. But that for me has been one of the biggest lessons I've learned in, in building teams is that it's not about sugarcoating it and mm-hmm. saying it's gonna be right when everyone can clearly see today that there are challenges, mm-hmm. but it's about this paradox of being able to be real, but optimistic. It's amazing. I think for me, it's it's always been this like catch twenty two where if you're kind of portraying like the struggles, do right. people freak out, right? And then right. you know, do they kind of scramble and they're trying to find something else or whatever it is? Is there is there a delicate balance between all right, well, here's what's going on versus like all right, I guess here's what we're doing to kind of fix it. Like, how do you how do you keep the transparency but also maintain like calmness how have you done it i mean just I'm intrigued. Like, you've, like, you've been through like loads on your journey i'm just yeah yeah i mean I, I think when it like at least for my position right where you know post ios updates and things like that yeah. right it's kind of going into like these meetings and saying like hey well this isn't doing well right and it's and i it's tough to say that to the team because that is what <laughs> they're working on and it's nothing to do with them Right. Well, to a certain degree, I would say a majority of it is it, nothing has to do with them. Right. It's all the kind of the outside factors. And then also it is up to us to really like plan for this. Right. And none of us have gone through it. So yeah. it's tough to be like, hey, what you guys are doing is right. But we don't actually know the answer. Right. So that's where I struggle with. I don't want to not have the answer because I don't want our team to also feel like, well, what am I going to learn if they don't really know what to do? Right. So that's I guess that's just kind of like where my head has always been at um, when it comes to being completely transparent versus like, all right, guys, here is the next couple steps that I think we should take um, versus more more short term versus long term. Um, That's how I kind of feel. I've worked out the transparency where it's like close versus far. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, it makes it makes complete sense. Let me ask you a question back. I know you're supposed to be asking me, but like, do you think it's leaders' jobs to have all the answers? I mean, I want to say yes, right? Uh, like, I, I feel like from our experiences, that's why we're doing what we're we're doing, right? Um, but I would I would imagine there is some, you know, I guess leeway where sometimes it just you 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 don't know. Right. And, 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 and that, that's where I, that's where I'm so like, like I said, the catch 22 is how much do you give away? Right. Yeah. Like how much, how much can you, you know, show to the team? Like, Hey, like, you know, 
few months ago we said hey we're heading into walmart but there's a lot of struggles on the way it's like you're kind of showing the end goal but it's like this part is unclear yeah and so if we don't know what we're doing then how do we expect the team to like be positive about moving forward you know i think you're highlighting something that's really it's it's tough it's a tough part of leadership to know how to navigate that but like that example with walmart had either of you guys launched a product in walmart before no so how did you get through it Still going We're through. Still going through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. We'll tell yeah. you in a few yeah. months. Yeah. <laughs> but I, honestly, so I, I look at that and I think, I don't think it is our job as leaders to have the un- all the answers. Mm-hmm. I think it's our job to have the vision. Mm-hmm. You know, and I often think um, we got to have the first step and the last step mm-hmm. is how I think. The last step, where are we going? Where's mm-hmm. the vision? What are we trying to get to? What's that? The kind of the big rallying cry that's motivating for people mm-hmm. because people follow people right. and they want to follow people with vision. And you guys have that, like no question in my mind. But then sometimes getting started is hard. Mm-hmm. So you got to break it down for people. Right. Here's where to go. All the steps in between, you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know the path right. between here and there. And if we get stuck, we can work it out together. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I think that's part of where we, you know, as leaders have to have people. I definitely don't know all the answers to everything. You look at what all the change that's going on in the world today with everything with generative AI, like I'm so busy just sort of dealing with investors. I'd love to have time to research that stuff yep. and know what's going on. Mm-hmm. The only way we can get through that is by having great people in the team who can help us navigate that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Walmart, and I've heard you talk on your podcast before a lot about this. I know this is like how you think about it. You need retail leaders who know the space to come in and help you, right? Navigate that journey, whether it's Vitamin Shop or Walmart or whoever it is in this particular example. Um, so I think it's the job of us to build the team mm-hmm. who have the skills, who can help us on the answer and the vision, mm-hmm. and then engage them. And it's a lot less lonely as well, I think. I mean, you, you've started this business together, so you've got each other but leadership mm-hmm. is a lonely job and it's much more fun and pe- by the way people want to be involved yeah. it gives them great pride you know your team looking back and saying we got into walmart we've been successful we got this, we've done all these things they've been part of that journey if you have the answers and you're just telling them they're not part of it in the same way right so that makes sense. i i don't know that there's one like blanket answer for that but that's certainly how i sort of think about that yeah is there, is there a blurred line between you being a leader and setting, all right, here's my vision. All right, let's, let's figure out what we have to do to get there versus also building a team that can help contribute to that vision. Like, where do you draw the line between the two, right? Because as a founder, if you have a certain, all right, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to approach this. If the team feels maybe you know, otherwise, yeah. right? How, how, is there is there a line where you're kind of like, all right, there's collaboration versus like, all right, well, this is what we're doing, figure it out, <laughs> you know? Oh, um, yeah, there's a line. Uh, I think it probably varies depending on the situation. I think, I think being collaborative and decision-making is important, giving people a voice, but at the end of the day, someone's got to make a decision. And there's not always consensus. I don't think, I don't believe you can run a business entirely on consensus. Mm-hmm. You've got to have people that make decisions and leaders that make decisions. So, so you know, I, I think being humble enough to say you don't have all the answers, you want input, but confident enough that actually 
you can listen to the opinions and then make a decision about the path forward. And, and you know, that often means that as a leader, you're going to do something that's not popular, that goes against what other people might tell you is right or think is right. And you've just got to do it anyway. And some of the hardest ones I've had to do on that hiring decisions, really hard, really, really hard to hire people. And they're some of the highest impact decisions we can have as leaders. Um, sometimes investment decisions, uh, brand decisions sometimes when it's like based on gut and intuition they can be the hard ones where you've got like data and it clearly points you sometimes those can be a bit easier but but yeah no i think those are and that's where you've that's where you've got to step in as the as the founder as the leader as you know as the the person who holds that vision and that plan you love it I don't know if this was an interview or a therapy session <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of both um because I, mean, I have a question around, you know, you've obviously have firsthand take and experience right now, and I'm sure you're going through it um, with investors, right? Raising capital, talking to them. And, and I think it'd be really interesting, both again, for us to know, but also the viewers and listeners to understand what is, what are the sentiments of investors right now, right? And yeah. for, I think it'll be good to get two perspectives. One investing in let's say more of what you guys are an aggregated fund or whatever it may be in a, you know an aggregator so how do they feel about the wellness space right yeah. um given that there's no barrier to entry right um but the number two overall sentiments of where this market is going right um no one has a magic you know eight ball or, or a fortune teller but i'm sure there are certain sentiments that um you know require a lot of group thing to happen and then you know you, you see a market move a certain way so what's can you give us a little bit of picture of what you're seeing from the outside looking in uh, when you're having these conversations yeah i'll certainly sort of share my my perspective and i would say we're learning every day i think the world is moving fast you know with new technologies the macroeconomic situation the political situations that are shaping what we're in so it's definitely not a static place and you know in a month's time it's going to be different than it was a month ago. Yeah. Um, that said, I would think you know a couple of things just on on the market overall. I definitely think the sort of the well-being space and health space in general is one of the most interesting and attractive segments that I see, particularly in kind of consumer space. And and I think my my sort of sense is that investors in general see that mm. they see the opportunity they see the growth they see the fact that it's pretty resilient to the economy um, they see the science and the technology that's kind of emerging in this space health in general is a huge market and and it's always easier to make returns when there are big market opportunities so i think all of that is mm. in the positive favor Favorite. of like the well-being space and the sort of the health and healing space that we're all in um, I think, again, just talking general terms, and I'll talk some specifics because not all investors are the same, right? right. And they're, they're sort of seeing the world very differently. Um, I, th I think sort of in general, the kind of the macroeconomics is still really cautious. You know, interest rates are still going up. The Fed's still putting up rates. The UK central bank is still putting up rates. And when you've got risk-free rates of like 5%, you know, yeah. worst case scenario, you're gonna get 5% return on your cash right now you've got to have like a pretty compelling investment opportunity to put it into mm. to beat that. So, you know, the, the bar is higher for people to put to put cash in. And then I think there's, you've got to like really understand your investors. And I think, you know, 
as you think about approaching investors, I think there's a number of steps we can go through and we can sort of dig in if it's interesting, but knowing who your audience is and who you're looking to raise money for, VC from, sorry, VCs are very different from private equity, which are very different from family offices, which are very different from hedge funds. All of them have great sources of capital and there's still capital available, but you've got to understand what each type of investor is looking for. Mm. You know, VCs right now are probably looking for minimum kind of 10x returns. You know, they want to find those like, and, and they're probably super interested in like emerging technology and what you're doing with generative AI and other things because there's clearly a lot of growth in that, mm -hmm. in that space. And so if you're projecting out and you think you can grow the business 5x, it's going to be hard to raise money from a VC right now. Mm. You know, private equity, again, sort of similarly is, uh, depending on where their kind of LPs are, um, they're looking at what the downside risk is in, the, in their business. Like right. they're, they're looking at um, how are you valuing your company right now? Over the last few years, we've seen some very big valuations, particularly in this space, like, you know, multiples of revenue. Yeah. I think 18 months ago that changed and there's like this very rapid switch to profitability. So they really want to see profitability and cash generation um, and being able to protect that. You know, if everything was to go wrong, what's the downside on, yeah. on their investment? Mm. Family offices, they're not prof necessarily professional investors. So they're trying to pr conserve family wealth, right? Yeah. So they're probably the most cautious of the lot right now because they would, you know, in many ways, and again, we speak in general terms, they'd probably rather stick it in an interest mm. bearing bond and see what happens in the next few months. Or they're looking for a recognized lead that they can trust and they'll follow the lead into deals, but mm. it becomes harder to find that lead. That's right. So I think all of those things, and then public equities, I think, are still, still down. I think, you know, um, NASDAQ is, really interesting stat around NASDAQ, and I'll get the numbers a little bit wrong, but I think in 2021, there was something like $200 billion raised on NASDAQ. In 2022, that number was down to like 10 or 11 billion. You know, it was extraordinary wow. how much the market dropped off right. during last year, because again, if institutional investors, if pipes, if um, pension funds aren't necessarily putting money into, into big deals, then people aren't gonna list their companies. So. So I think just knowing your audience, knowing your business. Mm. For founders right now, I think it's critical you've got as much runway as you can so you can you know, uh, do a great job with what you've got and continue to well, prove out strong. what you're doing. Yeah, yeah makes sense. I think um, a good question to, to ask here is if, if we are in this time of, like you said, weathering the storm, right? What should, like, what should the goal be for brands who are maybe eventually looking to sell or, or get bought out, what should they be doing today in the hopes of the, the future, you know, being a little bit more brighter? Yeah. And, you know, again, I think this is like, you guys are at the coalface of this as much as, as much as, as more as I am, right? We're, we're looking to, to work with founders like yourselves and, and buy businesses. So, so I'd be super interested in, in your perspective on how you're thinking about this, this kind of year. Um, you know, from, from my perspective, I think you got to just continue to focus on building a great business, uh, a business that people will talk about. 
you know, word of mouth for me is the most important thing. If you've got a brand that people are willing to talk about, then that's a, that's a great business, that's free marketing for you. Uh, and really focusing on what makes you different, focusing on profitability. So like those are some of the things I'd, I'd be thinking about immediately, but mm. I'm super interested in, in your perspective as well, like you know, how you're approaching it. Yeah, I think, I think for us, I, I think it's like, <clears throat> when you're looking at um, things like runway, right? I, I think what you're, even runway, what it really comes down to is like, you, you're, you have to prepare for things to get worse. Right. And I think um, that's kind of how we're operating, which is like, don't take what where you stand today as like and, and model that out and say, hey, I have until next June. That's great right. Advice. If everything stays the same. The thing is, nothing is staying the same, even on a weekly basis right now. Right. Uh, uh, you, you go on one media outlet, one media outlet can completely shift a move or move a market. Right. Right. Um, you, you, you kind of. Uh, have to realize like you have to almost build your business like almost by quarter right now and 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 model that out and, and say all right well i'm going to add an extra variable here extra variable there and then where do we really end out right and i think then you have to work backwards from okay this is really the worst case scenario of worst case scenarios um and if you work backwards from that, I think then you realize, okay, here's what the pressure point really is. I think why so many companies are folding right now um, is what they thought can go so far. Um, they're not even taking into effect the fact that maybe some of the funds that are sponsoring them or some of the tools they're using, those tools themselves are shutting down. Like yeah. uh, we recently, uh, we use this tool called Plastic for, for a long time, uh, which basically helps you pay um, your um, wire transfers, yeah. your credit card, right? Uh, intermediary service, uh, pretty classic service. And there's a few other options now, but they were, I think, processing $2.5 billion worth of transactions. They just filed for bankruptcy two wow. weeks ago, right? Wow. And like, if you modeled your business off of using this one tool, yeah. that tool's gone, right? And put alternatives aside, everyone, everything has alternatives. But the thing is, is like, you, you can't model off of reliance of other business tools or other businesses um, or, or contractors or employees also staying completely stagnant. Um, I think that's where modeling itself has to shift the narrative around that has to shift up. So that's more of what I think we're trying to take into account. I think that's amazing advice, really amazing advice. And I guess the question back from that is then, or the you know, almost the opportunity, if you've got that degree of flexibility, how do you spot opportunities and know when to pivot then and take those opportunities you know, yeah. to, to move your business in a new direction? You know, when everything's moving at such speed, I mean like, well, we now we're we're in almost in June, right? It's only five or six months ago that we really heard about AI. How are you thinking about adopting that into your your business? And yeah, I think I think uh, and Ash can touch on the marketing pieces. I think on the other side, like one of the things that will because we have uh, some degree of flexibility, I think it's like this is the time to actually try some stuff that's right. completely new, right? Um, so like we went right back to the branding board and our chief brand officer completely rebranded 
the, the website and, 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 and our products, not to go, go and switch everything, but to A-B test what we have. Um, you know, we went in and redid our product formulation and say, all right, not that we're going to fully switch this, but let's do a couple SKUs with this and see what the, the, the market speaks. Because if we can take a big swing during this time, we're only going to help ourselves, but we have enough flexibility where if the big swing doesn't work, then we can go back to to, to, to plateaus, I think operationally branding that side, but marketing, I know you've been trying a lot. Yeah, no, marketing, it's it, like they always say, right? If, if you're not testing, then you're really falling behind. Yeah. Um, whether it just be even just content, um, whether it's, you know, website design, landing pages, and even just testing different types of offers, um, that's where we're also pretty much utilizing like AI for a good amount of it, right? Um, on landing pages, it's so easy to, take i'll give you an example um we have our facebook community right um i was not feeling lazy but i was like let's try this where have the customers tell you what their top five reasons were for for buying the collagen right hey we'll give out a gift card just want to hear your you know the best response wins so i literally took all the answers uploaded it to ChatGPT, and i was like analyze the tone of voice of our customers understand what they're saying and what their likes and dislikes are, and then spit out something where it's a coalition of the top five reasons why somebody bought this. That can then become its own landing page, right? A listicle or five reasons why 400,000 people love Avi, right? That, instead of me writing it, when the AI did it with all these inputs, that page did a lot better than the one that I did on so my interesting. own. Yeah. And because you have all this data set, like there was like hundreds of comments, right? So if you can train the AI and like give it the inputs that it needs to really spit out the right answer, that's where I think brands can be a little bit more, um, you know, uh, ahead of the game. And I think that's like the name of the game is, uh, and some of my like previous comments, whether it be on Twitter or whatever it is, it's like how the shift in content is happening, right? What do ads need to look like nowadays? Yeah. Because, you know, the whole point was to be as native possible to the platform that you're advertising on, you know, whether it's TikTok and it kind of looks like a TikTok, right? Or if you're on Facebook, it's it looks like a friend sharing a, a photo, right? How do you stay ahead of the game while also like standing out from the rest of the crowd, right? Because everybody's making the same ads, the the same style of ads. Um, And I think that's where you can kind of use AI to spark the ideas, right? So like some of the things that, like I said, is inputting that data from the community of like the reasons why they bought, and then going back to the AI and say like, hey, well, you know, pretend you're a world-class marketer and tell me what are five reasons I should kind of like use in my marketing angles that is going to be completely different from what anybody else is going to do right so that's how i think you can kind of stand out while also still blending in and and making sure that you know that ad fatigue and that like just that that when people see an ad it's like almost instant scroll right and how can you provide value and education it's it's okay to get and lean into this new tech that's coming out and and that being AI, getting you from like zero to one and then having the team go from one to 10 yeah. is I think the, the the best foot forward, at least right now. Amazing. Saves time, money, and you're a little bit more efficient. Uh, you know, you've clearly built a culture of this sort of experimentation where that's part of what you're trying to do. And I think 
you know, what you've done with products and new product development, product launches has been super inspiring in that way. It's really hard to scale that. Mm. But I think as leaders, the fact that you've started the business that way and that's part of your culture is super impressive. I think I saw a quote last week from Elon Musk that said that, you know, the most successful businesses are always the most innovative ones. And, uh, and I think that a lot of that comes from, uh, from the testing that you're talking about. Really yeah. interesting. Yeah, no, I feel like if we're not testing something, it's yeah. like we're, we're almost doing backwards. a disservice. Yeah. yeah. So I think, I think it'll be a good time to maybe go into some of the kind of rapid fire questions we have. Yeah. Um, and, and feel free if you want to expand on any of them, obviously okay. go for it. But like, I think the goal will be for us to kind of get as many through. Um, but I think, um, you wanna, you wanna, should we start with that then? Yeah. Okay. So when it comes to building team, if you had one role that's just non-negotiable has to be on your team, maybe your first hire, maybe your second hire, what is that role? You're gonna have to pick a favorite on the team. <laughs> the CEO and founder. <laughs> Good answer. You know, um, the reason I say that is because I think you gotta have the vision about why you're different. And then I would say the answer is, you've gotta own whatever makes you different. Love that. So if your difference is the research, own the science. If your difference is branding, own the branding and the marketing. If your difference is product development, own the product development. Love Great it. answer. When hiring people, would you rather have a specialist or a more generalist? Early stage? Yeah. I think generalists are worth their weight in gold, honestly, early on. But I'd probably reframe your question mm -hmm. a little bit and say, actually more important is fixed versus growth mindset. Mm -hmm. And I would say people with a growth mindset who can learn and adapt are the most important at an early stage in business. Makes sense, yeah. That was uh, well said. Um, remote or in office? Hybrid. Ooh. What, what's a, what's a, a perfect balance? <sighs> Again, it depends on, it does depend on the business, right? If you're, you know, if you're a retail business, you clearly got to be turn up to work every day. If you're a manufacturing business, you got to turn up to work every day. Yeah. Um, I think for a lot of knowledge workers, you know, which a lot of technology enables us to be almost knowledge workers these days, creatives, etc. Um, I think being, we're never going to go back to a world where we're fully in office mm -hmm. because the benefits of flexibility are too great. You know, childcare, family, just, I think there's just a lot, a lot of opportunity with that. And so, um, you know, for us as a team, we're spread out all over the place. We're working with businesses that could be all over the place. We get together every sort of six to eight weeks. We have a week together. We work through the big strategic challenges. We do some social stff and then broadly we're then, we're then remote after that. But you've got to focus on the rhythms, the cultures mm -hmm. that kind of maintain that connectivity outside of the very transactional Zoom meetings that we all live in. Next question, probably, probably an answer for two parts, right? So for, we'll start with the healing company. Um, what is, if you had to pick one, what would be the number one channel that you would focus on to drive growth for your business? I'm gonna probably answer this for, for whatever the scenario, but the channel I'd focus on is word of mouth. Yeah. Um, you know, I worked for Mark Laurie at, at Jet, and I think one of the things that he was just brilliant at was this idea that, you know, net promoter score is really the only metric that matters and Fred Reichardt and others have obviously evangelized that for a while. 
But if you don't have a product that people want to shout from the rooftops around, you don't have a good enough product. Mm. And you've got to start there and like iterate the product and so you've got an NPS score of 80 plus because there's no point in putting paid marketing after a product that's not good enough. Right. Like you've got to have a great product or service to start with. So yeah, if I could build a business, it was just one, get that buzz, get that word of mouth, get the NPS score up and then you can scale. Would that apply to all businesses or let's say, cause I asked, all right, let's just say like the healing company versus say like something like Avi or like your super, right? Still word of mouth. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit different because the healing company where, you know, our, our main customers in a way are like the founders yeah. and investors in the business. So we, we spend a lot of time trying to sort of bring, be thought leaders in the space and, and connecting with people who are thought leaders in the space and, and sharing news and information. Because similar to an end consumer, that it's you know that's interesting. It's engaging for people, and we're trying to work out what's in, what's engaging all the time. Um, but still, I think at the end of the day, the best endorsements come from people that you know, right. and whether it's founders or investors, we want them to say good things about what we're doing. And so I think that that word of mouth is really important. Okay. Yeah, I agree. One, whether it's recent or like in your past just dumb mistake you made and you're like what was i thinking or what was i doing um i mean there's they go from very small things about just sending mass emails to people that were meant for one individual and uh, you know which we all do and it's so easy to do and i think i did that last week thank you exactly thank god for the unsend button yeah. that gmail you know has and has trained us on um you know i think i think it's hard to classify for things in my mind as sort of dumb mistakes because they're the they're things that, they're things that shape us mm -hmm. and learn. And and I think one of them was that example I used earlier with Ricardo, the impatience of moving on. I think the biggest mistake I've ever made personally in my career, and I need to, when I tell you the story, you need to couch this as it's not a mistake. It's a learning experience. <laughs> um, I was running a company in the UK. Uh, the business was doing well. It was my first gig as a proper CEO. We just sold a big chunk of the company to a private equity firm. Everything was going great. I was uh, you know, on TV all the time, giving my opinion on retail, you know, thought I was the real deal, right? <laughs> and I was a single guy at the time and I, I had a relationship with my CMO, um, who by the way is now my wife. We got a kid together. Wow. That side of it is not a mistake, <laughs> just to be clear for everyone. <laughs> the mistake, I made at the time was I didn't tell anyone about it and didn't tell my board about it, my investors or my, the rest of my executive team. And, uh, and it came out, it came out eventually. These things always come out, right? It's one of those lessons in life is like, when you do things that you think won't come out, they will come out. And it came out and, uh, and it was a problem and, and people felt like I'd betrayed their trust mm. and lost trust of my board and my investors, my, my colleagues and, uh, you know, I, I lost my job and, and it was a very painful experience. And one of those ones that like has really shaped me, oh. had to do a lot of work myself personally to understand like, you know, what led me to not disclosing that kind of thing. Ultimately, it led me to move to the US, you know, uh, and there's a whole sort of cascade of things that have been very beneficial since then. And, you know, I'm very happy and we've got an amazing family and a one-year-old kid who's just like my absolute, um, you know, uh, uh, joy every day yeah. but these things come from tough experiences right and so I certainly look back on that as a sort of a big 
learning experience as a leader. That's great. Great example. What is work-life balance to you? Because um, it's defined differently by everyone. Yeah. And I feel like there is obviously this imaginary work-life balance, and then there's a reality. Yeah. So I'd love the reality piece. The reality. Uh, I mean, the reality is chaos. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's perpetual compromise trying to navigate, balance, judge, having good relationships, partners that are willing to, to support you in what you're doing. You know, I'm, my, my wife and child are in the UK at the moment. I'm here in the US for, for 10 days, um, you know, on business. Like, that's a big strain on her. So that's the, that's the reality of the situation. And, um, but I think the way that I try and think about it, um, you gotta start with yourself. You gotta start with your own energy. And this is something I've learned to my detriment over, over the last sort of 10, 15 years. What gives me energy? What makes me the best person I can be? Sleep, eating well, exercise. I know those are things that when they go off, and they're easy to go off when you're working really hard, is mm -hmm. like, I will go off. And if I go off, then I'm not a great husband. I'm not a great boss. And like my the whole work-life balance falls out. So one of the things I've learned over time is it, sound, it may sound selfish, but focusing on yourself being good first is super, super important. And I really encourage any entrepreneurs to like make sure that you're doing work on yourself and like looking after your own energy because you just can't be a good partner. You can't be a good leader if you're not in a good place. So what's your routine that you don't like to stray away from? <laughs> uh, I have an ideal routine and then I have like yeah. a routine that like... Are you up at 4 a.m. getting into an ice oh, yeah. bath? I'm, uh, I'm a 4 a.m. guy. Um, no. <laughs> I mean, just, I think sleep does matter. And, you know, I know you've got young kids as well. I don't know if you, have you, you know, actually haven't got it yet. It's really hard when you've got a young kid yeah. to sleep, right? Yeah. And my wife and I've had this discussion a lot, like it really throws everything off. So like that's, that's kind of number one. And then I do intermittent fast, like, and I think that kind of helps keep me uh, just a bit more balanced. Um, I really try and moderate my sugar intake. For me, like sugar is my vice. I love sweet things, um, but I also know that they like they really send me off mm. as well, and like actually deplete my energy towards the end of the day. So, so if I can get a few of those things right, just manage my my balance, not overeat, have those sorts of periods of fasting, uh, not eating too much sugar, and getting some sleep. Those are good things, and then um, exercising a couple of times a week, and and uh, ideally. I'd be exercising five days, but on a great week, if I can do two days, that would be that would be good. And I think one of the things I've learned in recent years is that strength training is actually better than cardio training. Mm. Um, actually burns more calories. It leads you less to a big calorie intake spike at the end of it. If you go for a long run, the first thing you want to do is just like eat something afterwards. If you do weight training, then you don't necessarily need to. So, so I think a few of those things, if I can get some of those things right, um, that makes the world a difference. Um, and then I, one other thing yeah. is just spending time outside of work with family and trying to have that wind down time. Yeah. Even if it's just like 20 minutes, 30 minutes at the end of the day, just having something that's like shut not off. related, shut yeah. it off, allow your brain to settle. Yeah. Um, helps with when you have a kid, right? Who kind of forces <laughs> you to do it. They force you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, at least last question on my end is five years from now, where are you ideally? You know, I think five years from now, uh, it's a good, it's a good question. I think professionally, I'd hope that we're having a big impact 
on, on a lot of people, um, products and services that people are using and consuming and finding that they're making a difference to their lives and that we are doing good stuff out there and putting it into the world and, and helping more people realize that there's different ways of thinking about health and lifestyle, right? So professionally, if we can be doing that and having an impact on lots of people, that's great. That's amazing. Um, personally, um, uh, I want to be present with my kids yeah. uh, and my wife um, and be part of that family and not distant. Mm. And that's hard as an entrepreneur to sort of the conversation we just had. Um, and I want to be, I want to be uh, seen as a leader for my people that cares about people and helps people grow and makes a difference. And you know, I think one of the things I've learned in my career is, as it's gone on is that like jobs change, but people are always around. And you follow people between jobs and different situations, mm -hmm. and and those relationships really matter. And so, I've learned to cultivate that and to be really aware of that and to develop those is is super important. So yeah. Beautiful. Love it. So at the at the end of every episode, um, we like to give the viewers something to chew on, right? Okay. Um, so out of everything you've kind of we've kind of discussed today, what is one thing that you would want you know business owners or operators to take away and kind of you know implement in their business today, tomorrow, immediately? People matter choosing who you work with and work for at the start of your career as a leader, choosing who you surround yourself with, how you engage with them, the transparency you share with them. I mean, I think those are a lot of the things that we've talked about. I think being very conscious about that, that's gonna be the ultimate thing that determines whether your business succeeds or fails. Chew on that, chew on that. That was awesome. If you want more from us, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, follow us on TikTok, and check out the website, chewonthis.io.